Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Yes Sir HR. As usual, my name is Mark and I'm with Dennis from Jersey <laughs> UK. Jersey UK. Or I thought it would be yeah. like I'm talking to Harry Kane today. Uh, Spurs seem to be doing quite well. You must be happy. You must be in a good mood. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's long overdue. You know, there was some research done, given that we are evidence-based people. There was research done on the last couple of decades of Spurs results in analysis of games. And the hypothesis was, are Spurs actually an unlucky side, you know, in terms of serendipity? Mm-hmm. Or is it just they are Spursy? They just make certain types of mistakes. <laughs> and um, anyway, the evidence showed, and this supposedly was kind of not done by a pathological Spurs supporter, that, yeah, the, there is a, a Spursy component, but they are actually probably the unlucky side in terms of decisions um, over a two decades. Just like we used to just like we used to refer to lucky Arsenal in the 70s. So maybe we uh, maybe we'll get a bit of a rub. But we have to beat teams 4-0 to win. But yeah. we play Burnley and Middlesbrough and we can't score. But there you go. So, so, are you, uh, uh, so then are you making excuses for the possibility of not finishing fourth this season? Uh, yes, well, yeah. It, it's kind of, it, it's one of those existential things. It's a little bit like, you know, you know, when we talk about genes and the brain and various things. Maybe some people are, you know, maybe some people have a lucky gene. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we're going to jump into today's episode. But before we do that, so here's the plug for the week. As usual, if you are listening to us for the very first time because someone recommended you to uh, join the podcast, uh, please do like and share it. And uh, I'll give you the email address of which you can write to us uh, to let us know what you think. But for today, we are going to talk a little bit about something that I've always found interesting and maybe uh, for you to uh, shed some light on. And that is, we are going to talk about making sense of the different types of intelligences. Now, in our previous pod, we talked about IQ and was it teachable. Then we went through, I think we talked a little bit about general and specific intelligences and whether it can be developed and how teaching practices can actually help students grow their intelligence through a positive mindset. And I think we did spend quite a bit of time talking about Carol Dweck's growth mindset. However, today, in the literature, there is a reference to other types of intelligences, such as emotional intelligence, social intelligence, and even cultural intelligence. So this is where I show my intelligence by taking a step back and I'll get you then to maybe explain a little bit before we launch into our discussion. Yeah, that's right. Um, the old area of intelligence is value-laden and, you know, quite a lot of it's contested, as we discussed uh, in in relation to IQ. Mm. And uh, there was a, a oh, well, still very famous writer, psychologist, Howard Gardner, who talked about multiple intelligences. Yeah. But that was all to do with more or less um, different types of intelligence like musical intelligence, mathematical intelligence, etc. But most of it fell within that kind of domain of cognition. Yep. However, the ones that you mentioned, are uh, are they related to IQ? That's a, a bit of a question that we can look at. But let's take these in 
some order. The perhaps the most well known one of these intelligence is emotional intelligence. Yep. And that was made famous. You probably um you're probably familiar with Daniel uh, Goldman. Goldman. Yep. Yeah. And he actually said that um which was very powerful. His central thesis, basically his whole notion of it, was that emotional illiteracy, in other words, a lack of emotional intelligence, is actually responsible for many of our social hills, uh, <laughs> like mental illness, crime and educational failure. So you know, if you look at those kind of things in the present context where we're talking about um, concerns about mental health issues and how do we educate our children in today's um um rapidly changing volatile society it perhaps is something that may be uh well um may be very important to consider um and certainly um his definition of emotional intelligence he talks about five dimensions uh which i'll briefly say and you can pick up on but mm. they all make good sense uh, one aspect is that as individuals, we can have self-knowledge about ourselves, understanding ourselves, because I think a lot of the problems of mental health issues today is that particularly with young people, but not just young people now, and particularly when we turn the TV on and we see wars going on and poverty and whatever, um, actually making sense of one's own identity, oneself, and recognising or not recognising that the mind itself is a fairly disorganised entity. So I think, you know, the idea that we have to understand how the mind works and understand ourselves is a really important thing. Um, secondly, um, it's very easy to let our limbic system, our emotional centre in the brain, as we know, it's the default system, to react to situations. We say things that we, we later regret. And that's why we always say, don't we never send a, an, e a, an email to someone when you are Angry. a bit emotional, right. let it settle down. So the idea of being able to self-manage, self-regulate yourself, which is an important part of self directed learning so understanding oneself being able to self-regulate and also motivation what i find um maybe is that people today um don't have to drive the motivation because it, it's such a confusing world well what what, what are we motivated to do it's a bit victor frankelish isn't it you know the meaning of life kind of thing so um yeah he talks about the importance of being able to manage our motivation to find that energy and enthusiasm to, to to make something of ourselves to achieve some goal and also um social awareness that being aware of other people and to be able to empathize with them and to recognize that well they have perhaps the same issues of understanding themselves and self-regulation and then at the behavioral level and this is where you know customer service professionals are trained is that knowing how to use these emotions, being sensitive in communication and being able to, um, even if people are being unpleasant to them, to be able to say, well, you know, they're being unpleasant because they're frustrated and it's not a personal thing. And even though I feel like telling them to whatever, uh, I'm going to say, oh, sorry, madam, sorry, sir, or whatever. I understand your situation. and Let's see if we can deal with it. So those old... Um, those kind of things seem to be really important attributes that we should develop in people, not just in schools, um, but in the workplace and society generally. But certainly we should be doing this, shouldn't we, you know, from primary school onward to get people to develop this this um, 
emotional intelligence as, as part of the uh, of holistic education. So uh, okay. what do you think about that? Okay, so so I, I, I will give my, my point in a minute, but I'm just trying to draw a frame on the different types of intelligences that we'll be talking about. So before we dissect them, uh, each and every one of them, uh, I'm looking at there are other two that maybe you can just give us a quick and sure. concise definition on. Uh, uh, I, I'm quite familiar with emotional intelligence and I'll give you my thoughts in a minute. Uh, but yeah. there are other two that I think are quite interesting and I just was wondering uh, what do they actually mean? Well, the first one is social intelligence yeah. uh, and the other one is cultural intelligence. Now, I'm assuming social intelligence has something to do with interactions with people, uh, how we portray ourselves, how do we uh, handle uh, negotiations and interactions. Uh, is that correct? Am I correct to say that? Or, yeah, 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 it is. Um, I mean, one of the best definitions and the most concise one, and um, I don't need to spend so long um, explaining this one, but it's it's uh, a definition by Albrecht, um, and, and that's a recent definition. It's the ability to get along well with others and mm-hmm. to get them to cooperate with you. Now, uh, if we, t- I mean, that's, that's as good as it gets. Um, and if you think about it, it's, it's a pretty powerful thing because we are now talking about so-called 21st century competencies. And as we know, I think we had a, a conversation about this on one of our previous podcasts. And if we haven't, we will do, right? Um, so communication and collaboration figures highly on these lists of 21st century competencies. Now, my argument is they are also first century competencies. We had to communicate and collaborate when we lived in the caves or the campons, right? However, um, this to me seems to be um, a pretty important thing to develop. And um, the interesting thing about it, the underpinning skills are um, things that relate quite a lot to uh, emotional intelligence as well. I mean, one is to be what's called, sorry, uh, sensory acuity, and that's the ability mm. to, um, to see things in situations, to pick up on people's tone of voice, their mood, their communication style. so Their body we, language. Uh, yeah, so that we're able to be very aware of how they're thinking, feeling. So um, we um, we might be able to communicate better with them. And it does involve good observation and listening skills. So these seem to be very um, much connected to emotional intelligence as well as an essential competence. And obviously, linking to this, when we talk about self-knowledge and things like that, and social awareness and emotional intelligence, empathy, which is highlighted in social intelligence, um, um, the ability to put oneself in other people's situations and see their perspectives, those kinds of things, again, seems to be a very important skill set. And finally, the ability to be very clear in communication. Um, have you ever said something and you've used the wrong word or you, you, you've been misinterpreted? To be At the end of the day, <laughs> people, people will, you can say everything really well and people are going to get the wrong end of the stick and it's maybe their fault but the all we can try to do is to be as clear as possible uh, and to calibrate this is the real skill with um social intelligence and i think it also relates to emotional intelligence the two are very connected and that is to be able to calibrate our body language um with the words so i might say to you if i'm appraising your teacher and i might say Mark, uh, your teaching's improving, but um, 
um, I think, you know, with a stern face, you need to do something. So at one level, I'm saying something. At another level, um, I'm communicating something a little bit different. So good calibration of, of voice, tone, body language is a, is a key skill um, in social intelligence. So that's that. Now, finally, cultural intelligence. Now, to me, looking at the, the definition of that, it seems to be very much a combination of emotional intelligence and social intelligence, which are connected anyway, but applicable to different cultural contexts. In other words, I might have good emotional intelligence and social intelligence, but because I don't know things about different cultures, I make certain blunders. I mean, one of the things I learned, Mark, very quickly, was working in Malaysia, as I did a lot, and um, yep. um, I remember uh, offering my hand to Malay uh, ladies in the workshop. And some of them shook hands with me. Some of them seemed to be quite perturbed. So I kind of I had to learn the fact that when, in, in, in Islamic culture, that that's not something you typically do. Um, and the same thing in Thailand. Uh, you don't uh, when you sit down, you don't have your the soles of your feet. feet yeah. Outward. So yeah, so it just seems to me that the same thing: motivation, knowledge, cognition, metacognition, and actual behaviour. If you've got emotional intelligence and you've got good social skills, that cultural intelligence is just a kind of added feature that you know in certain cultures there are key things that doesn't mean you've got to know everything because the, the bottom line i mean I, I was in japan once with my wife and it's kind of a funny story and i love i love reminding my wife of this because she uh, we were in a restaurant with a japanese friend and there was a sound like this <laughs> jane thought that was me eating my noodles in a in a slobby way and she looks at me and glares at me and i'm like look to your left sort of thing and uh, Mia, the Japanese woman was doing that and in Japanese culture when you eat your noodles it's customary to do that yeah now again um, that uh, if you don't know these things you could be out with people and you think oh that's disgusting or I, I don't care if people eat their noodles like that I'm not terribly fussy in those senses um, but what I'm saying is if you don't know that you can be having a, a perception that is kind of naive so that's the kind of pan out of these different types of intelligence and they all seem to make a certain sense to me and um collectively is it not something that we um should think about in terms of the curriculum right so let, let's let's do that now but before that i just have to point out this fact when you talked about uh jane giving you uh dirty looks because of noodles uh, and slurping are you sure it wasn't because you were talking about your cultural uh, intelligence when you were dating a Norwegian girlfriend at that time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is the thing, Mark. You, you know so much about me. There's nothing wrong with your long-term memories. It, well, I don't think so. Um, right, okay. No, just... just... Just a little bit of uh, humour to put you on the spot a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we do work situationally, yeah. And in fact, what do I know about Norwegians? I'm just trying to think, really. Um, um, what do I know about Norwegians? In fact, to be honest, that, They're tall? <laughs> most Norwegians I've met, I found very easy to get on with. Maybe it's because they... Um, they like football, they drink beer, and they seem to um, be... Yeah, reasonably um, chilled out about things. Yeah. Uh, to generalise that, 
Coast. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the actual uh, breaking down of this. Uh, let, let's start with uh, emotional intelligence again. Uh, there, okay, so as you rightly pointed out, there seems to be a rise in mental health issues, concerns of well-being of youngsters. Uh, so maybe that it is important that we actually try and teach this. Uh, how, how, how do we actually do that? Now, we talk about IQ. I think that one was quite clear. But how do you do something like emotional intelligence? How does that work in the curriculum? Yeah, well... I think the, the key thing is that do we really, when we teach students, we teach them content knowledge about physics, maths and history, and this is all well and good. And we, we have like a humanities curriculum and it might be about looking at sort of tribes somewhere or um, different types of physical environments and looking at values and norms at an mm. abstract level. Um, as opposed to say, well, let's try to unpack how we feel as human beings at the particular, if I'm working with, you know, kids in school, how they feel about the things in their world, what things are concerning them, um, what's the basis of that? Because I think a lot of the concerns that young people have may not be um, as serious as they think they are. Yeah, uh, and not for us to patronise them, but for us to kind of say, well, okay, you know, your friend didn't speak to you yesterday, or your boyfriend said this, or your girlfriend said that, and you know, the, a lot of things is that we can get people to recognise that we have these emotions. First of all, that we can feel uh, a sense of um, pleasure about something, but also a sense of disgust, and just get people to recognise that we have almost a bit of a paradox of emotions and sometimes we're actually confused and the very notion I think Michael Apter's work is really relevant when he talks about the mind as a very changing entity that we you know during the course of a day we can go from feeling quite optimistic to pessimistic and um, we know we might think that these are significant personality problems mental health issues but to recognise that maybe that the, the chaos of the mind and making sense of life is in itself a natural existential challenge and not pathology. Maybe a lot of the health issues, and I'm being serious, it's not, um, this is a, a view of many cognitive psychologists. Um, yep. I'm, I'm going to invite one to come on the pod and talk about this, that in a sense that if every time someone um, fails at something or is unhappy about something or don't get their own way, are we are we going to allow this to become a mental health issue or do we build more resilience in students by saying, look, there are times you're going to feel very angry. You're going to feel that everything's against you. These are natural emotions and you need to be able to recognize that and not see it as, Oh, this is a crisis. So um, I think Anthony Robbins had a nice statement. He said something in life, don't sweat the small stuff. And I think maybe in our culture, we are sweating the small stuff too much. And if you do that, it's a bit like physical fitness. If you get yourself so unfit, you're very prone to physical illness. Whereas if you go down the gym and you play football like me and you do, uh, you're more resilient physically. Yeah. So, so actually, I wanted to ask, uh, doesn't this then, uh, does it mean, sorry, that if you are self-directed, it means you have high uh, emotional intelligence. Would it be fair um, to say that? 
Well, the, I think if you are self-directed, you have the ability to manage yourself in the sense that you know you have to make yourself work hard if you want to be successful. You understand that it's um, it's the locus of control is with you. But that don't mean that you are emotionally, socially or culturally intelligent, because this is the interesting thing. I may be very aware of other people uh, as, as emotional beings. I can be very aware that if I... Uh, show empathy, I can understand them better. I can also recognise that a different culture has a certain view of reality. I can be aware of those, but I think, I don't care. I don't care if I offend you. Um, I, you, know, you can be almost totally self-directed, but also totally narcissistic. So that's the interesting thing. Simply okay. so, so then, being, sorry, okay. So, so, I'm, so, I'm gonna, then, so I'm going to jump in here. Yeah, that, yeah. Okay, so so does that mean okay, so that example that you gave, does that not also suggest or maybe suggest that instead of lacking emotional intelligence, you lack social intelligence instead? Yeah, uh well, you could still lack it's possible that you have some emotional intelligence, but you lack an aspect of social um intelligence. For example, yes. I'm like very aware of of emotions but I'm just not competent at speaking or doing it in other words some people just seem to have a habit of putting their foot in it and it may well be that they're aware of things but they just don't have the skills so the thing with the social intelligence bit is that uh, there is a skill component to it what do you mean by what do you mean by a skill component to tell you elaborate a bit more yeah well I think, like, if you take something like sensory acuity, right? Yep. Um, what I notice that people um, will see in an environment because they only, you know, have perception kind of, and, and our memory, well, our memory system is limited. Like, for example, people often talk to me about the physical side. Like, oh, well, did you notice that temple, that church, or that building there? And I've gone past thousand times and i'll be honest about it i'm not really interested in architecture and i'm not terribly interested in those sort of cultural features but if i'm a room with people i read very much that that kind of mood through the way they're talking the way they're looking so I, i've kind of deliberately focused on understanding people but not being interested in the environment so much a building is just a building you know like if you said to me what color carpet do i have in my apartment i have to look at the floor uh, it's <laughs> big you, you understand so what i'm saying there are people who just don't see it and they haven't you know trained their perceptual systems they haven't developed enough sensory acuity or the skills to be able to respond so they have a vague idea of it but they don't really they get the wrong you know in other words it's like people who talk about things and as though they're experts but when they know nothing the worst thing about a lot of people is they that they know very little but often very ignorant people actually believe they know a lot and are you know, quite difficult to have a conversation with because they think their model of reality is the real reality That's the problem of human communication sometimes right right okay so let's go back to to okay. So now that we have again gotten a clearer idea of uh, emotional intelligence, social intelligence, and of course uh, cultural intelligence, 
and, and I just want to dig this uh, 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 a little bit more. Uh, is we already have so much things to try and teach in schools. Uh, and I'm pretty sure we can build a strong case of why EI, SI, and CI is actually important. But let's say we recognize the fact that the world is complex. You know, we have to deal properly with talking to people. It's a more flat world. It's a global world. So even CI now, what was once, you know, uh, you can watch in terms of funny faux pas, now become extremely important. But the question here is, how then would a teacher who is keen to do this actually can do it in an evidence-based way? Uh, and I'm going to ask, going to put you in a spot. Are we? And I want you to 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 try and do this. Yeah. How how are we going to do it? And if we were to try, and are we going to do it in terms of putting all three together, or are we going to de-link it and say no? Let's focus on one intelligence at a time. And maybe the second part to that uh, tough question would be: is, How is it then related to what we call IQ? Do we right. even want? Yeah, do we even want to link it, or do we just look at it totally separately? All right, let's take the um, the IQ one first and connect yeah. it to the others. Um, the research shows actually that emotional intelligence probably, if you compare emotional intelligence and IQ in terms of being successful in exams or getting certain types of jobs, then IQ would trump emotional intelligence. However, um, increasingly now, what we know is that IQ um, is, is it's a very important component. However, once your IQ exceeds around about 120, right? Forget about these people who are who score 180. Um, but the, the, those people who are mid-range, slightly above uh, average, if they've got good social intelligence and good emotional intelligence, that then becomes a very good package. So what that means is that there is some relationship between, I think people with um, reasonably good IQs um, can benefit from emotional and social intelligence. Now, if you have some special educational uh, issue where you, um, I don't really want to put labels on these things, but you're just not able to be and you don't have that where then that's going to be quite a big impediment um, if you follow what I mean. So uh, um, in a sense, low IQ and low um, and, and certain neurological issues coupled with low emotional and social intelligence makes life quite challenging. Mm, mm, okay, okay. So that's the first part of how we are linking it to IQ. So yeah. let's go back to the nuts and bolts of why we do what we do, which is, okay, how then do we now introduce this into the curriculum? Uh, I mean, uh, uh, the way I look at it is uh, if we do something like uh, cultural intelligence, uh, I mean, there, there is a possibility where you can go totally sideways. You know, you show uh, a person going into a foreign country totally uh, messing up. Uh, and, and there are many advertisements that actually show this in terms of cultural intelligence. And one of them is my favorite one about uh, HSBC. I'm not sure if you have seen this advertisement, but it shows uh, a man from British, uh, from Britain, a British man, uh, going to, sh I think it was a restaurant in Hong Kong, or was it China? I, I, I forget. Uh, but if I can find the, 
uh, advertisement, I'll put the link, uh, the YouTube link in the show notes. But anyway, it goes, uh, so the host, uh, the, the, the Chinese who were hosting, the, the British gentleman, gave him something to eat, which was like eel. Um, and of course, that's not something that uh, uh, the person was used to. So he ate it because he didn't want to offend the guests and he finished everything. Now, it goes on for many rounds until to a point where the person just couldn't eat anymore. Uh, and then the tagline comes out. In uh, Chinese culture, uh, you, you, if you finish everything, it sends the message that you are not full. Whereas in British culture, you finish everything because you don't want to offend the host. So yeah. that would be one way that I would suppose, you know, we can, we, we can show an advertisement, we can, we can talk around it, and then we can maybe laugh at it. But is there something else that we can do to bring it to life, to, to, to maybe send the message home in a bit more effective manner? Yeah, um, well, I mean, nothing is better than direct experience. The problem is course, for yeah. people, they don't, have, they, they don't really interact that much with other cultures. Um, you know, we've been lucky, um, and me particularly, and worked in so many different countries and cultures, that um, I'm able to have direct experience. But we yeah. do know showing people good examples, particularly authentic videos and those kinds of things, can at least get a conversation going. And I think the difficult thing with cultural intelligence is the aspect of it where that we are aware that, it's a cultural feature. I mean, for example, it kind of used to annoy me a little bit when um, Westerners would make statements about, oh, Vietnamese, they eat dogs. So, you know, that's such a, they're eating their pets. Well, uh, hold on a minute. You know, in the West, um, you know, we're eating cats pigs uh, um, and various other things are we you know are we being anthropomorphic in that kind of sense about you know what we eat is okay and what you eat you know used to say at the end of the day that eating a dog is existentially worse than it <laughs> and we know pigs are intelligent creatures and you know what we do with pigs if you look at the slaughtering of pigs you know that goes up you know, those pigs are suffering and uh, you know in, in, in the sense is there any difference between eating a pig and eating a dog apart from the cultural definition? So one thing is we have a conversation. Now, what you have to say is that in cultural intelligence, it's the ability to recognise differences, um, have some degree of stoicism, I think, uh, about judgment, um, not overreacting either way, but also being true to yourself. Now, um for example, I had one situation working in China where historically, um, I think this is true, that um, there was there was a practice of eating live monkey's brain. Yep. Apparently, it's a delicacy. It's yeah. A, it's right. a, it, and you need to chill it, apparently. You know why I say that? Because I don't know if you remember, uh, there was a movie, you know, the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? There was a scene. There was a scene where he was eating monkey's brain. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was it was hilarious. I don't know if I can find the clip, but uh, I I'm taking notes. I will put the clip up uh in the show notes as well. Right. Yeah. Um. Now, I mean, we can have. I think this is an opportunity to share some stories because I think yep. it shares stories that helps people. I mean, John Paul Sartre, I think, once said amongst many things. 
that we learn everything in life through stories. So I yep. think that the telling of stories about different cultures, not, you know, worried about whether they use flint or they use stone for axes, but let's talk. I think we should talk more about that the way they make sense of their world. It's just a, a focus on the curriculum. We do it, we're teaching too much stuff that is contextual rather than existential. I mean, that's an heavy statement, but to go back to this funky brain thing, when I worked in China, what I found, I, I actually really enjoyed working in China and um, it, and people incredibly kind to me. What, you know, if you take a positive cultural thing, I was flying, I was working in um, Kuming, yeah, Kuming, and I had to get to get back to Singapore, I had to go from Kuming to Guangzhou, and then from Guangzhou to Shanghai, and then back to Singapore. Anyway, when I got to Guangzhou Airport, everything was in Chinese, surprise, surprise, it was China, right? Anyway, so I'm just looking at my ticket to see if I can work out, you know, which channel to go in to check in, right? Two Chinese guys, youngish guys in their twenties, come up and they said, "Sir, can we?" Right? Okay. Yeah. So they look at my ticket and they they said, "We can take you there." They take me to the, the gate, right? You know, the check-in line. Anyway, they then speak to people in in, in Mandarin, obviously, um, to people in the in the queue, and they put me at the front of the queue. And I said to these two guys, "Look, I don't need to be at the front of the queue. It's really good that you take." To the queue and they said no the people in the queue said this is a guest in our country and we'd like him to go to the front of the queue and i thought wow what a nice thing has that ever happened to me in england no so you know what what, what do i interpret from that um so that was one aspect now going back to the other aspects of chinese culture um when i went out with some of the chinese um faculty they would try me out with different food. We were in a restaurant and they, <laughs> they brought live snake out. And, you know, I thought to myself, I can eat snake. I don't have a problem with that. I said, I'll have the yellow one with curry sauce, right? Uh, chili sauce. Anyway, so I ate the steak, uh, um, snake, sorry, and steak. I mean, I put the two go together, don't they? And also I was able to eat turtle. I ate turtle and I've eaten um, insects in Thailand and that. Anyway, one of the professors said to me uh, one day, he said, Dennis, and he said, tonight we're going to have a very special meal, right? And I thought, okay. So, you know, being, being, having much cultural intelligence and flexibility and whatever, and being an extrovert and whatever, I thought, yeah, I'm going, I'll eat more or less anything. Anyway, when we went out, he said, we're, have, we're going to have live monkey's brain tonight. <laughs> now, I heard about this, and all of a sudden, this is where cultural intelligence is challenged. How do I not so man say, oh, that's terrible. I think it's shocking you do that. That's barbaric. I mean, Gordon Brown, who was um, the Prime Minister of England, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I'm saying this online, you know, people can listen to this. I'll say this in any, any um, situation where um, I lost respect for him when in China, a, a, a British person, right, was... Um, distributing drugs they would you know they had lots of drugs on it was obviously you know to be used to be sold and the person I think was executed and Gordon Brown said oh you are a barbaric race of people you know doing this and uh, the, the minister one of the ministers a lady said look um, you know 
in my opinion, had much more um, cred than um, Golden Brown on this. He said, well, hold on a minute. Look, in our culture, we don't want a big drug problem. You had this massive drug problem in the UK and whatever, and all you do is moan about it and talk about it. It's very clear. People know if you come into China and you are, um, you know, you're, you're smuggling drugs, as in Singapore, it's the same. And I 100% agree with that. And, and, and I'm saying that online. I don't care whether people agree or disagree with that. Um, having grown up in Singapore and had two daughters and never have to worry about them getting caught up in drug cultures, totally agree with that. It's transparent. So I had no, no problem with that aspect of it. But going back to eating the monkey's brain, uh, I had to sort of say, well, it's part of Chinese culture, but I don't really want to do it. <laughs> So it's it's being able to respond in a way of not saying, oh, I think you're barbaric and cruel and unkind, even though I might I don't particularly the right thing to do, you know, with the monkey. I, I do feel that. Um, but I didn't want to sort of make that kind of thing. But all I thought to myself was, how do I get out of this? Ah, so then, okay, so now you are tapping onto your emotional intelligence, correct? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, okay, yep. Okay, so from cultural intelligence, now yeah. you are tapping your emotional intelligence. Okay, so what happened? Yeah, well, all I thought to myself was let's let's see how the situation pans out and let's think about what I might be able to do situationally. I work a lot. I mean, I think, you know, the ability to think quick is a good skill set and we should be developing that in schools as well. Anyway, we go out for dinner. We don't have the like the monkeys, but we're coming back on the coach that we had, you know, going back to the university. And then I realised I, I could be, you know, going back to my East London cavalier sense of humour. I actually said to him, Professor so-and-so, I won't use his name, uh, I'm really disappointed. And he said, what, what are you disappointed? I said, I was really looking forward to that life monkey, right? knowing that it's not going to happen, right? I'm just having a bit of a joke here, right? And he said to me, um, well, Dennis, look, um, you know, it, because of global pressure and, you know, you, animal rights and, you know, what he's, we, we have stopped doing this now, right? Yeah. So I got, you know, in the sense I never had to do that. I, I probably would have, I don't. I, I probably would have said, "Look, uh, if push comes to shove, and this is only retrospectively, I don't know what I would have done exactly. But uh, you know, if it would have happened, I would have said, "Look, for me personally, I'd prefer not to uh, eat that." Right. That's probably where I would have gone, but I wasn't going to um, get involved in a moral conflict with it. But um, you know. It, it's something that I wouldn't have liked, but um, th that's when it gets really difficult. So how do you manage your own um, kind of perceptions? Um, and I think culturally intelligent people can do that better than people who would either, you know, start insulting people or um, overreacting in some way. Yeah, but, but you see, okay, just now you mentioned something, but you were only, you were only learning if there was kind of direct interaction right yeah so are you then saying that we are all doomed to be making mistakes first before we actually learn something is it not possible well, to learn it before we actually go and insult someone uh yeah i think you can <laughs> i think you can make people aware by telling that story to someone right. you know for a person who is you know uh is motivated to develop you've got to be motivated to develop your iq beyond what it is as well as you know other intelligences i think if people are just not interested it doesn't matter but if someone 
can recognize sometimes uh, it's just a simple question of recognizing differences and not reacting and other times you have a bit of a dilemma and you have to kind of um, use some social skills to get out of the situation now it doesn't until you're in the situation Right. Then, are you there? Are you still there? Yep. Can you imagine then uh, two in a row? I think we must have, we will probably win the next Powerball lottery. Where we have uh, nothing for 28 episodes, no technical difficulties, and now we have two in a row. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, it's a bit like that. It's a bit like uh, football players. They don't score for 10 yeah. games. And they score two at-tricks consecutively. Yeah, so, um, yeah not a problem. Yeah. So let's pick up where we left off. And my question was, does that mean that everyone is doomed to make a mistake when we talk about cultural intelligence if direct experience is supposed to be the way to uh, learn about uh, cultural intelligence? Well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 sub, it's, it seems that that might be the case. I mean, I remember just um, bringing up another story. Um, I was working in a further education college, and one of the things that that teach was um, to do with safety, right? And I would show students um, uh, videos of motorcycle accidents and the statistics, how dangerous it was. And they would look at that and they, you know, they're quite shocked and for, for, the, for the situation. Wow, that's dangerous. But then um, an hour later, I look out the window and I see some of them driving their motorcycles at the college doing wheelies. And I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, um, this is the problem, isn't it? That it's a bit like um, we we are bombarded, aren't we, in the media on um, you know problems of obesity and not exercise and eating the wrong foods. And yet in England, I think we've got um, one of the highest obesity um, rates in the world. Now, when I was young, um, you know, in East London, we never talked about any of this, and um, it was very rare to see many obese people. So somehow that you know education may not have an impact. However, I think there is a moral imperative to try to give people the best evidence-based education about things. So uh, even though some people are just not going to be influenced by it, but I think in schools, if we can inform um, students, make them aware of how they feel and their impacts on other people and how different cultures have different experiences and show them examples, tell them stories. Um, that is better than not doing that. Um, I was an, uh, an AIDS counsellor for a few years and it's kind of interesting how um, that a lot of people didn't know about it. And if you don't know about it and some, you do something that um, is dangerous, but you don't know about it, is it your fault? Um, equally, um, if people do know about it and they're, they're made aware and they still choose to do it, then it isn't your fault. It, you know, it's perhaps more their fault because they knew about it. So the way I see it is if we can try to develop people to have a better sense of emotional intelligence, develop skills in social intelligence and make people more culturally aware, that um, it's still got value if you follow what I mean. Yeah, I do. But what about uh, 
social intelligence then? Uh, would role plays be some ways to do that? And then, you know, the, the teacher or the educator can stop at specific points to make or reinforce and give feedback. Would role play be good? Absolutely. In fact, that is the nearest, you know, we talked a little while, I think a couple of episodes back yes. on how you make, you teach more immersive learning, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, obviously you can put people in the real world, but the nearest you can get to that where you can develop the skills, develop the understanding is through simulation. So I think we should do more role plays around interpersonal communication as part of the school curriculum and now that, that would fit very easily in a, a social science type curriculum or a language curriculum it's not a lot of content to teach it's all about key concepts isn't it the idea that people in other cultures have different more different norms different value systems and perceive things differently and we have to appreciate that and understand that sometimes we have a dilemma with it that in certain cultures there might be practices that we personally don't like and we have to in some way deal with that intelligently um so i do think yeah giving students role play experiences is a good way one of building understanding but also developing social skills um as a young man um my, my, my one of my saddest things was because i i never really learned how to speak to girls um terribly well <laughs> in my early years of school not having a sister and uh, you know my only female contacts was my mum and my auntie that i found it very difficult to talk to girls because i could only talk about three things which was football and because i used to box fighting and fishing and but, Girls didn't tend to be terribly interested in those things. And I never I never understood a very basic thing of human communication. That ask people, if you want to communicate with people, ask them what they're interested in and let them talk and show that you're interested in. It's a very simple skill set um, once you get good at it, because providing that you show you're interested, you, you can ask questions, open questions, um, then it's it's not too difficult to actually talk to people. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't seem to really grasp that kind of basic um, scenario of skills. So, yeah, I mean, let's teach people to um, be able to speak clearer. Uh, let's teach people to develop more sensory acuity. And role plays are pretty good for that. Right. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, maybe a, a quick wrap-up then of uh, what we have been trying to, to talk about in terms of... Uh, I, okay, we didn't really talk about IQ. I know we did talk about EQ uh, and the importance of uh, social intelligence and also cultural intelligence. Uh, where do you see this going? Do you see this going to be more and more into the curriculum in some way? Or do you think this will be done more at an individual level if the teacher is interested? Well, um, my own view is this. If we, if we are talking about holistic education, we're talking about kind of better understanding of self i mean we talk about the problems of mental health issues part of that is not understanding self yes. um, and i think uh, another issue is that maybe people who are, uh, are spending too much time on the internet and too much of this is negative communication that to get people to improve um, on their social skills is a pretty good thing and to recognize differences and be able to manage those better uh, but still remain true to self. So I do think that th this is something that all teachers should be mindful of. It doesn't mean 
more workload. But if you're working with students and you can see that they are getting confused, getting annoyed with themselves, getting annoyed with each other, it's, this is a great teachable moment, isn't it? To set them down and say, look, let's now unpack how you feel um, and, how, and how we can respond better. So I do think that it's something that would infuse naturally in the curriculum. And um, some subjects and some teachers would be better at doing it to, to others. But I do think it's really, it, it's a fundamental part of developing an educated person, I think, and a mature person, and someone who not only can be self-directed, but also um, someone who contributes to their own personal wants and needs, but also recognises, well, if we can, if I'm meeting my needs, Maybe if I help other people meet their needs, that's a good thing. So to be individual focused, socially focused in the community, but also globally focused. I think, you know, that's something I felt that prevalent in Singapore, this idea of being rooted in your community and understanding being committed to it, but also to have that kind of global awareness as well. So I do think these types of intelligences, these types of underpinning skill sets that are essentially to do with human conduct, uh, are to do with improving the quality of human thinking and also the quality of communication skills. I think if we if we work in those areas, um, I think, you know, we, that's a better concept of education um, yeah. than perhaps just having lots of subjects and topics. And at the end of the day, people memorise enough stuff to pass exams, but um, are not really helping to deal with systemic globalism, both at, you know, within yourself, within the community, within the world. Right. Okay, cool. So that wraps up the first part. Uh, so as usual, let's talk about something that we found interesting over the week. Uh, I must say that uh, it had, it the week has sped by. It felt like almost yesterday we were just talking about the previous podcast and looking at the skill sets that a lecturer must have. Uh, so maybe you want to go first then. What has been something for you over the week that you well, have found interesting? Well, to be honest yep. about it... Um... <laughs> I think you probably, and I think this is baby living in Singapore. You probably had a more, you had more interesting weeks to make than me. Um, uh, I am still learning technology tools, and uh, I've moved on to another um, another one, Mark. You'd be pleased because, given that we we need to think about kind of um, doing more online learning, I've been re-familiarizing myself with Screenomatic because having you know, I can now operate in a Google's classroom environment. And I thought to myself, well, the nice thing about that tool, this is me talking technology to you, right? Yeah. Um, Screenomatic seems to be quite a good technology tool. Pretty easy to use. It's free. And when I look at the upgrading features, it doesn't enhance anything for me. So I think with good pedagogy, that if you make small bite-sized videos, you might show one slide or two slides or an image or you actually talk for about a minute on a key concept, um, and you 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 have good structure of your curriculum. You can teach a lot of key concepts, and you can put it in a platform where you connect it to some interactive tool, uh, like a Padlet. Um, so I am trying to uh, increase my technical literacy 
and competence. Um, so that's what I've been doing this week. So, um, yeah, so that's it, really. <laughs> Does that make sense? Does that seem a good tool to you, that screen matic yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've always enjoyed it, always liked it. Uh, but uh, actually, you can do quite a number of things, even with Microsoft Teams. Uh, but we will explore that another, yeah, in, in, in another episode. Uh, I wanted to share something that uh, I found. Um, it's not really going to be a tool that lecturers can use, but something to think about for the future. Uh, and that is the future of using artificial intelligence in uh, education. So I, I, I was talking to this uh, vendor or this startup and they, they created something which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, and they called their product Walter, as in uh, like Walter, you know, I'm trying to think of a footballer with the first name Walter, Walter Samuel. I don't know if you remember him as a uh, top class defender for Argentina. But anyway, uh, no. it's, yeah, it's, a, it's an AI tutor with the superpowers that educators need. And what it says is it is able to tutor and help lecturers mark in an accelerated manner with artificial intelligence. Okay. Uh, yeah. And what they are saying is that teachers can spend up to 50% of their time on non-teaching activities. So it's no surprise that teachers often feel overworked and burnt out. Uh, and it's hard to find time to give each student personalized feedback. So what they are saying is their solution uh, called Walter is a superhero, is, is a trusty sidekick that every educator needs. Okay, So it is a platform that uses artificial intelligence for contextualized AI tutoring and AI grading and instant automation of learning quizzes, assessments and tutoring pathways. Uh, and while I will leave the link in the show notes for people to go and check it out. Uh, and while I don't think it's going to be free for use like Kahoot and so forth, but I just thought it would be something for us to think about as we move, uh, as we evolve education where, you know, artificial intelligence is going to play a bigger role in the way we do our teaching and learning. Uh, and I know we are at the end of the podcast already, but maybe a quick thought from you, Dennis. Where do you see, uh, as a quick sentence, where do you see artificial intelligence going in terms of education? Well, I think it's going to evolve uh, more and more and will become an integral part of it. There's no doubt about that. It's a bit like when we talked about videos like 20 odd years ago. That I always saw the video as a really, particularly interactive videos, as very powerful, mm. as very powerful learning objects. Now with videos being to make, easy to use and stream, it's going to be a main learning object. Artificial intelligence, as it becomes, if you like, um, easier to use, less expensive. Uh, its capability phenomenal in terms of being support mechanism, particularly towards in, um, differentiation, personalization of learning. So it will become more and more, as will learning analytics, if used carefully with as part of this whole package of artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's going to be. Um, it's going to be potentially be, um, a major and answer of learning right okay cool that's interesting uh yeah so that ends today's uh episode uh yeah so i believe you are headed to england to spend time with your daughters over the easter weekend yeah friday all being well if the if the planes are running yeah 
Okay, cool. So, uh, okay, uh, that that's good. So, yep, I think that would be uh, something that you would uh, enjoy over the weekend. So, stay safe then uh, and we'll pick it up in the next episode. So, take care everyone and goodbye. Oh, sorry, before we go, uh, I forgot to give the email address. Okay, you can reach us at... Uh, evidence-based creative teaching at gmail.com once again evidence-based creative teaching at gmail.com so that's it take care everyone and we'll see you soon take care and bye-bye goodbye from me also